Welcome to another episode of Growth Marketers Podcast. I'm Solomon Timothy. And I'm Taylor Rowe. Today on the podcast, we had a guest in studio with us, Pete Maldonado, who is actually the CEO of Chomps, which we have some uh, nice, delicious beef sticks <laughs> here that uh, he graciously gave to us. And so really in the episode, we dove into everything Chomps related, everything that he's gone through as a founder and as a CEO of a business, specifically when it came to marketing, some of the things that they were able to do very early on in order to build a brand and build a following in a very saturated market and saturated industry. And then as of recent, what they've had to do in terms of shift and pivoting with COVID and right. what we have to deal with in, in 2020 and how that's affected and their scaling marketing. scaling at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So he had a lot of great insights and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy the episode and find some value from what we had to say. All right, so we are joined today by CEO of Chomps, Pete Maldonado. We practiced that before good. the podcast that so that I did not butcher it. But just for our listeners here and our viewers, if you wouldn't mind, Pete, just kind of giving an intro to who you are and, mm -hmm. of course, what Chomps is. Cool. So I'm Pete Maldonado. I'm the uh, CEO and co-founder of Chomps. So Chomps is a better-for-you meat stick. So if you think Slim Jims or some of those other gas station mm -hmm. conventional brands that you've probably seen growing up like i saw and i loved growing up um this is a much better for you version so what we did is we just went in we took all the bad stuff out we put good stuff in so we use 100 grass-fed and grass-finished beef we use antibiotic free abf uh turkey and uh grass-fed and grass-finished um venison awesome. and uh, no sugar added to any of our products so keto friendly whole 30 approved paleo Everything. All those good things. Yeah, yeah nice. absolutely. So how did you come up with this? You said the co-founder, so you and another founder. Yeah, um, how did yeah. you guys come up with this idea? Well, it was interesting. So I was a personal trainer in, in college. And so what I saw in college with my clients was there was no like on the go healthy snacks. And so I, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, I found that one of the things that that was, uh, was happening is I would put together a diet plan and I would say, go stick to this. Here's a grocery list for you. And they would never follow any of it, yeah. you know? And so for me, I was like, well, can I just create products? I could just be like, go buy these and buy, eat a number of these a day or whatever. And so that was really where the idea came from. And so it was really very basic yeah. and uh, very simple. So. Yeah. But simplicity is, is a way to it. And I've heard you on other interviews and podcasts just talking about really doing one thing and doing one thing that's really it. well. And that's one thing that we preach all the time, especially when it comes to marketing. And one of the things I want to talk to you about is kind of building a brand from the ground up. As I know, this is really the, the first company, as with a lot of entrepreneurs, is the first company that you've been able to do this. So how did you decide like where to start when it came to marketing is one of the challenges we see. And one of the things that I try to tell entrepreneurs not to do, the pitfalls is like, we want to do Instagram and Facebook and you know every single channel. And you just do a little bit of each and you really don't go anywhere. So where did you start and how did you decide or did you fail at that and it's kind of fall into the same really track? good question. So this actually started. And first off, I'll caveat this by like, this was not done intentionally or strategically in the way that we started. It was really, I wanted to start a business for a very niche market. Like it was right. going to be for paleo and for CrossFitters. And so that was it. Yeah. And we went deep on that. And looking back, honestly, that's why we've had all the success that we've had, because we started with this one little diet tribe in this one community, and we were really entrenched within that community. And so we, we built up this solid foundation and we built, we had all these ambassadors for the brand that were just, you know, out talking about it, telling all the other, other friends. And so we were able to really spread out 
and really take those communities by storm. And then from there, it was like, okay, well, next it was Whole30. And then it was Keto. And then it was, so it yeah. just kind of snowballed from there. And then over time, what happened was those communities were very small initially when we started. We've been doing this for over eight years now. But if you think about like these trends, like Whole30, when we started with them, they had maybe 20,000 social media followers. They've got millions now. Yeah. You know? So first off, Keto has been around for a very long time. A lot of people yep. don't know that. So this is one of the things I did back in high school, actually. But so when we created the product, I wanted it to be keto friendly. But that trend, I mean, we all probably have like parents or grandparents yeah. that are doing keto now. Yeah, as soon as your grandma like, starts talking about a diet, you know, it's pretty main, it's mainstream. pretty mainstream. And so, <laughs> but that, you know, it was from a timing perspective, it couldn't yeah. be better. Um, we didn't have to go reformulate products to to fit these trends. It just was, you know, from a they happened to check the boxes and. And really, it just took off. Yeah. Do you have a team doing the community development? Yep. You know, responding to chat. Oh, yeah. We have, we have a really solid. That's one of the things that we excel at. So the way we started the business was direct to consumer. So it was all e-commerce for us. And social media was huge. I mean, that was everything, right? We didn't have money. Mm-hmm. So it was all, how, do, how are we going to grow? And um, so that's what we did. So our, the majority of our team is, is marketing right now. We have 20 people on the team right now. We do most things in-house. We outsource a, like some content creation and that type of thing. And it's really just to be quick about creating right. content. But yeah, everything else from posting to community management to customer experience. I mean, you name it, we're, we do it all in-house. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the ability to kind of build that brand. So obviously, like you mentioned, you built a product and a brand that happened to fit into these other categories like a, yeah. a keto and a Whole30 rather than, oh, I see that keto is exploding. So let me try to create a, a keto product. And so how has that been with your marketing? Has it followed that same trend of like, let's just focus on building, you mentioned building a community. Yeah. So what sort of tactics and strategies did you use at the beginning to truly build a community? Yeah. So we were doing influencer marketing before it was really called influencer right, influence marketing. That. So a lot of it was really just finding these ambassadors that happen to have a following uh-huh. and they'd be talking about it. So it might be a CrossFit coach or it might be a Whole30 coach or whatever, and or some a paleo blogger. And um, we would reach out to them and or they would actually start posting about us first. Initially, this is how it all happened. And so we would say, oh, well, they tagged us. Let's reach out to them and see you know, if they want to work with us longer term. So over time, we really just built up a roster of those ambassadors and these influencers and it just kind of kept snowballing from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so that, like you said, that's really kind of influencer marketing before influencer marketing. And one of the things that we always preach to our clients as a, we're a marketing agency, obviously, is like you can't, brand, building a brand is important, but you can't buy brand. And I see a lot of companies yeah. just try to spend like ad dollars. And you mentioned we didn't have ad dollars. So we had to truly find people who liked our product and would go about you know, above and beyond to actually Promoting talk about it. our product. And so one of the things that, that I want to kind of help, you know, our listeners understand is that when you made that transition from, you know, just being a product, being, company. yeah, yeah. Just being okay. A product, we have this product and then we have people now talking uh, to other people. And now we want to go into some of these big box retail, like, did you, were you concerned that that was going to hurt your brand or is going to be different than where this small, tight-knit community and now we're trying to go national or is going to affect our product in terms of the quality or anything along those lines? It's a really good question. We were afraid of retail for the longest time, which is why we didn't go into retail. We really had no ambition either. And this, it was four years in. We did it for four years direct-to-consumer only. and um, E-commerce? E-commerce only. And so we were on Amazon as well. And then Trader Joe's called. And it was like, and I was in 2016 and we were like, I don't know if we want to really, really do this right now. And 
in hindsight, if I had known how big of an account that is, <laughs> I, I would have probably had a different tone, but I was just kind of like, ah, we don't, we're not really looking to go into retail. And I just kind of kept saying, yeah, no. And then it was like, you know, they wanted the private label thing and we just, we didn't want to do that either. So, but anyway, in the end it was like, okay, I love Trader Joe's, my favorite store to mm -hmm. shop at. So I'm like, you know, I would love to work with them and try it out. Figure so it we out. did. It was such a learning experience for us. I mean, they're a different animal, by the way. Like they're not like most retailers. They're really, really great to work with. They're actually an amazing partner. And so for us, we got very lucky to be able to start with them. And that was kind of our segue into retail. But, you know, and, and immediately overnight, we had millions of new people that were trying our products for the first time. It's really, you know, was able to build a brand. And what we did is we we took a step back from, from some of the e-commerce stuff. And we really made, like Trader Joe's was like our thing for yeah. all of 2017. We were just like laser focused on being the absolute best vendor that we can be to Trader Joe's. And this was like everything from improving our quality control and logistics and you name it. I mean, every aspect of our business was we were laser focused on just improving all of it. And yeah. so within a year of doing that, it was, it was amazing. But to your point, like, were we nervous about it taking away from our community? I don't know. We, we were a little bit nervous about that and a little skeptical of it. But then we realized right away, like, this is our customer, like Trader Joe's shoppers. That was already our customer. We're just hitting millions more of so them. Like, what is going on? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. so, and, um, so in 2018, we were able to like to go to go back to like our roots and to start thinking more about the e-commerce side and serving those customers and maintaining those relationships that we had built up over over the first four years of our business. So yeah, yeah, that was uh, it was kind of a game changer for us. Yeah. And so obviously on the back end, the operational side, like it's much different to ship five sticks to somebody who ordered you know <laughs> online versus shipping pallets and crates to somebody like Trader Joe's truckloads, yeah. truckloads. Yeah, absolutely. So. In that scenario, that like I said, on the back end, it makes sense. It's clear to people. On the marketing side, now you're available all over, e-tail, retail. And so how does your marketing adapt? Where are you trying to push people? If you're running an ad, do you send them to your website? Are you promoting, you know, find out my local Trader Joe's, Amazon. find it, you know, Amazon, Whole yeah. Foods. Is that, how important is that to you? Or are you just worried about, hey, I want people to know who we are and want to try our product and wherever they want to buy it, they yeah. can buy it. So it's interesting. We don't really do a ton of that. Like we always announce like, Hey, we're launched here. We're launching here, but it's never like, like, we're like we want to drive people to this channel now or whatever. Like it's always like for us that the social media aspect is more of just like communication and education, right? We want to be able to like to just continue putting out information about our product, about our sourcing, why our sourcing is so important to us, you know, and is continuously putting out like, or some of it's like more like inspirational stuff. So we have like this champions campaign that we're yeah. doing where we feature people that we feel are like a cultural fit to our brand. That's most of this content that we really put out there right now. Yeah. So what was the driving force behind that strategy of we're just going to focus on education? Because so many entrepreneurs, especially early stage, they're like, Pushing I want to know what's the ROI. I want to know if I spend <laughs> $10 in this channel, what did I get back? Yeah. And well, so you're taking a different approach. It's obviously been successful for you. It's something that we preach here as well, but I'm curious to have your take on it. So people don't want to be sold all the time, yeah. you know, and I feel like, you know, especially nowadays, I mean, Jesus, like it's just ad after ad after ad in your, in your, in your New feeds. Feed. Yep. And we put out ads, but, but like, if you look at like the way, way at our top of funnel, like our prospecting right now, like what that's typically an initially an, an influencer or somebody that's, that's talking about like, and they, they're like a credible influencer. It's not some chick taking butt pictures or something <laughs> yeah. like that. It's not, that's not the people that sure. we pay. We don't care to work with those people. We're talking to people that are out there putting education. So it's like, Thomas DeLauer is a big keto influencer, or we have like 
whole 30 coaches, you know? And so that's the type of people that we want to be having put that education out. That's the initial touch point though. For us, we want that initial touch point with those customers to be rather than an ad in their Facebook feed, we want it to be, you know, somebody out there actually talking about the product, talking about the benefits of it, the taste of it, how they use it themselves. And then it's immediately, it clicks for, for people and they're able to kind of say, and okay, this can actually work for me. But then what we'll do is we'll actually do, we'll do this retargeting. So we retarget and the second touch point is typically maybe additional education is kind of more about the brand and that's got more of a call to action, but we stay away from that salesy, salesy top of funnel building. We don't like that. Yeah. We say the exact Awareness. same. And I think the same terminology you said is like, your job is to educate and really just continue to add value to the customer. And when we look at it in terms of like B2C, B2B is obviously a little different. On the B2B side, I always say like marketing job is to educate, the sales job is to facilitate. You're never really selling anybody. Like your whole job is just give me the information, then let me help you make this decision. Mm -hmm. And I think you're, you're doing that even on the B2C side because your influencers are now really your salespeople because they're saying, hey, here's how I use it. Here's the health yeah. benefits. Here's a nice recipe that I would use. And it's one of the other things I wanted to bring up. We also do a lot of SEO and content marketing here. I took a look at your website and you guys are creating content and driving traffic for things that a lot of marketers or entrepreneurs would say is irrelevant traffic because you're, like you said, Whole30 recipes or carnivore diet recipes. So you had a, I think it was a, a chili recipe or yep. something on, on the website. Now, again, you sell one product, essentially different flavors, yep. different SKUs, but you sell meat sticks, beef sticks, right? So why are you choosing to create that type of content on your website? It's value add. That's mm -hmm. it. Value add. So we want to be providing education or options. So people are, especially now with COVID. And if you think about our product specifically, we've, we were already doing that stuff before talking yeah. about recipes and like in other use cases for the product. But with COVID, it was like, we already had a leg up on it because we were already talking about recipes. And now our product became rather than on the go protein, Nobody's on the go, yeah. right? <laughs> now it's a... The it's, commute from your uh, bedroom to your hallway, to yeah, your bathroom, yeah, to your yeah, yeah. living room. So now it's an ingredient, right? And other meals that you're going to eat. And, and especially when people started talking about like, there's going to be a meat shortage and, and all this. And like, so people started kind of really stocking up on our products because they wanted their, their protein. You know, so, but I think, you know, talking about the product now as a pantry staple versus just like a on the go snack right. yeah. was critical to our messaging. But again, we were already talking about that yeah. beforehand. So it really benefited us. Yeah. You, you kind of were uniquely positioned to benefit from something like yeah. that. And yeah, I agree. I think today the battle is for attention for your yep. end customer. And you very early on identified who your customer was. And like you mentioned, everything you've done since then has just complemented that getting into Trader Joe's it doesn't give you, introduce you to a different customer segment. It's just a wider More variety of, of that same customer. Of yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think the same thing goes for that type of marketing strategy. And if you were to look at it short term, because we always tell our clients, like, let's think long term, right? Especially when it comes to marketing. You think short term, writing a blog about, you know, 10 carnivore diet recipes is probably not going to move a lot of, you know, meat sticks in the short term, right? <laughs> yeah. But get for you to continue <laughs> to, yeah, for you to continue to, like you said, uh, add value to that customer, build the brand, just continue to stay in front of, you know, your customer with the chomps name. That's where I think is a very, very valuable strategy. Hey, thanks for listening. Solomon here. Are you frustrated because you're not getting enough inbound leads? You're worried that the leads that you're getting are not qualified, or maybe you're disappointed in the conversion rate from the leads 
to customers, right? It's really, really low. Well, I got good news for you. I talk to business owners every single day. You're not alone, all right? Business go through this when there is a lack of strategy sometimes. Uh, maybe the approach isn't appropriate for your situation or sometimes you got all of those things right, but it was just poor execution. I'll tell you what, head over to oneims.com and fill out one of our forms. Talk to one of our consultants. That's all we do. We talk to business owners day in and day out. Share with us your challenges and see if we're a fit, right? See if we can find you a solution to your growing pains. You know, our hope here at OneIMS and especially with this podcast is to give you the tools, the technology, the ideas, the strategies, everything we possibly can for you to succeed. All right. So thank you for listening and let's get back to our topic for the day. I got a question. How did you come up with the name? You know, everyone keeps, <laughs> everyone asks that. I don't re- I honestly don't remember like when it was like chomps. Like yeah. I don't, I, I will say like, I'm, I'm pretty good with coming up with like, with ideas and like and stuff them. like that. Like I, so I feel like that's been, that's what I bring to the table in this company. Right. So it's like anything with like sales and marketing, that type of thing, but usually my ideas. And, um, I have no idea, but I, I we got lucky, you know? And then we were able to get it, you know, trademarked and we got the, even the domain name for it. So we were uh, pretty, pretty fortunate to have it though. Absolutely. I mean, everything, the packaging, especially once you move into retail, it becomes such a huge thing for somebody trying the product for the first time. I mean, you nailed it right in terms of bright colors, but it's not overwhelming. And obviously the name Chomps is, is a cool name, interesting name. And then right on the front of it, uh, as we see, if you're watching here, you can see. <laughs> um, but yeah, right on the front, obviously, like you said, sticking true to the whole whole foods, gluten-free, all this kind of thing. So I think that's definitely important, especially for retail. You know, one thing that you'd probably find interesting is that our demographic and our customer base is over 75% female. Yeah. Wow. So I would not have guessed that. Yeah. And the meat snacks category in general is male dominated, right? like a mile, right? Yeah. And so us coming in with this kind of, female friendly packaging. Right. And it's like more and our messaging and our tone and the branding and the things that we really put out is talking to a certain customer. Right. And so when you're starting out in those diet tribes, the way we did, those diet tribes are heavily female. Right. Yeah. So it really wasn't by design. We didn't go create a product for females. They, it just so happened when we ran the data, we were like, what is yeah. going on here? We have like right. all, like it's, it was before we launched into retail, it was even more, it was like 85, 90% female. Yeah. It's um, because you know why there's no Sasquatch on the, that it makes sense. I mean, like you said, those diets is predominantly uh, female. something female and then obviously getting in. That's actually how I was introduced to it. My wife actually bought these. Uh, she, <laughs> like you said, loves meat sticks and took them on a, we took them on a road trip and she bought probably five or 10 of them and they were delicious. Oh, that's great. Hopefully it was mm-hmm. 10. Yeah, I think it was 10. <laughs> it was uh, maybe 20. I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so I want to talk a little bit, you and I had a brief conversation before this, and we talked just about what to do in, in a situation like this in, in COVID. Uh, pivot, I think, is kind of the word in, in 2020, for whatever reason, every brand has to kind of figure out how to pivot. Mm. From a tactical perspective in marketing, how did your marketing change? You mentioned how the consumer kind of changed. How did your ad spend on digital platforms shift or change if it did? We turned it off. All of it? All of it. So for about, it started off where it was just going to be a few days. And this was when like, people were like, we need to go dark because if you don't, you're tone deaf. And which we was kind of forced upon us to, to, to stop and stop doing it. But we were like, oh no, like we're going to turn this off. Like we're not going to be building top of funnel. We're not going to be converting. And then we turn off all ad spend. This is search and social. And it 
the, the revenue just kept going. Sales just kept going. And so obviously profitability is like yeah. going. And, uh, and then it was like, it was like supposed to be two days. And then it went to like two weeks and then it was like two months. And I'm like, what is going on right now? And we just kept growing. Really can't pinpoint exactly why that's happening is, you know, there's more people shopping at home now, but I think in reality, I, it was kind of eye-opening to us that a lot of that spend was unnecessary, you know, and by turning those off, man, it adds seven, seven figures to the bottom line. If right. we kept right. going all year like that, but slowly what we started doing is shifting that budget now to working more with like influence with the influencers. So again, even with influencers, though, it's still very, it's like the organic relationship. We want people that are going to be authentically talking about the brand. They were already a fan of the brand before. Right. We'll actually form a longer term partnership and pay for that. And so that's really worked out well for us. So again, it's using the influencer side for the prospecting. And then now we have our guys are doing the retargeting and that's where most of that search and social budget's going to. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of the spend before that, between search and social was pretty much where you were spending yeah. that. And so what type of, you mentioned before, like a prospecting ad, what type of strategy were you taking on the social media perspective? Were you just promoting, like you said, value ad. So for our listeners, would it be like a, a recipe or like what kind of things were you just All, all of the above. We, we're still testing. Maybe yeah. we test and learn all the time. We're finding right now our top performing ads is, is all UGC. So if it's an influencer, anybody, customer just takes a picture with the product or is talking about the product, if it's a video, we'll try to get the, um, the source file, the source file. And, uh, and we use that for our ads or, or we do like the white, white listing. Is that the word right. you guys know better than, better than maybe. Yeah. We'll do like the white listing and do running ads on there, on there. Oh, got it. Yeah. 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 And so you mentioned the most successful ads. So as an organization, how do you measure the success of your marketing campaigns? Because you're doing so much brand building and awareness building type campaigns. Is it just based on that revenue that's coming or how are you actually measuring yeah, success? Attribution, attribution is getting more and more difficult for us as we have more and more channels channels, and, and just like yeah, where people can buy it, yeah, out there. Sure. It gets to be more and more difficult, but we still, we're very data driven and we know, you know, at least directionally, where things are. And so our team's on it all the time. Okay. Yeah. I think especially like you mentioned, it's so much harder to track. And now that you've added the offline source, it's going to get even harder to track. And historically you've always grown. It sounds like from that word of mouth, that referral type business, right? Where you built a community to tell their friends about it. And so that's not going to go away. And it's hard to track as a marketer. like we ran a Facebook ad, promoted this recipe somebody saw an influencer. And then, like I said, their wife went into Trader Joe's and bought the product and then told her friends about it. You're never going to be able to really track that. (laughs) But does that mean you should, you know, cut off all your marketing or not invest into that? And that's, I think in early stage, you know, startups, the pitfall a lot of entrepreneurs fall into is like, I need to know my ROI right now. And that's what I was mentioning earlier is like not thinking long-term. So it sounds like you guys have a good grasp on that and it's stuck true to your, your roots, so to speak. We're a self-funded business though. We do not rely on outside capital. So ROI is still very important. Sure. So no matter what we're doing and what we're investing our money in, we need to know that we're making Well, it needs to, yeah, yeah. The, the numbers have to go up, right? As you spend more, <laughs> yeah. you need it. But the exact dots in between of how that connects, you might it's not always difficult. know. It's more and more yeah. difficult. And now yeah. search engines are changing Every all day. the attribution and becoming more and more difficult to track. Yeah. So. Absolutely. So one other thing I want to make sure that we cover, we get a lot of questions from early stage companies, marketers around like what they should be doing in terms of tech stack. So I'd love to hear from a marketing tech stack perspective, what Chomps has used or is using today. So on social, we're using Sprout Social. Mm -hmm. We use 
Zendesk is now wrapped into that's our customer experience, but then there's parts of that where we're, we're actually do community management through Zendesk and Sprout Social. And so it all kind of intertwines. Loud Crowd is another one where we're using to, to amplify some of that UGC. Then now if you start thinking about like data and like Google analytics and all of that, we have a, our team actually built a full data warehouse. So it's pulling in data from all places, all the different pla- pla- yeah, platforms. and, and cool. uh, Nice. And then uh, in terms of e-commerce, you guys are using like a Shopify or something? Oh, you're or... talking like just general. Yeah, general. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Shopify. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that's the main platform. And then uh, email marketing. Email, we're using, we just switched over to Clavio, Clavio, however you say that. Yeah. We were using Pardot for a while. It was not working for us. Yeah. We won't go down that, that, <laughs> that road, but yeah, uh, absolutely. Solomon, any other questions? I was going to say, what's next for Chomps? Where do you see yourself in? Well, um, (laughs) I mean, so the thing about it right now is, you know, we've had a lot of growth, but there's a lot more white space and there is, you know, there's a lot of places where we're not than where we are. So the white space is kind of endless right now. We're not in C-Store. We haven't fully penetrated the natural channel. There's a lot of big retailers. We're not in Target. So the opportunity to continue growing that is really big. But the way we like to focus, though, is rather than thinking about breadth and thinking about, I need to land 5,000, 10,000 new doors. I want to grow the same store sales. That's what right. I'm looking at. I'm looking at velocities. I'm looking at repeat purchases, household penetration, but it should be all be within the channels where we already are. Right. And we want to be the number one better for you meat stick brand in the store, no matter where we are. So our team has a KPI and the sales team. If we, you know, we want to be number one within the first year of being on the shelf. We've accomplished it and everywhere we've made it to a full year. We've had have a lot of new distribution right now, but we just launched like Whole Foods and Sprouts and Walmart in another, in a jerky set, Kroger. And so, yeah. What was your biggest challenge that you ever faced? Hmm. Okay. That's a, that's a hard one. Actually. <laughs> um, I'm going to say it was, it was definitely like the quality control side of things when we were scaling so quickly. Right. And so it's a production side, right? And so we were working with a really small co-packer and over time though, he was able to grow his business as we grew. Even till today, like we're still the, the, the biggest customer for this, this co-packer, but they went from a little tiny hole in the wall. It was like a corner store in a farm town called Greentop, Missouri. And um, he had a one little cookhouse in the back where he's making sticks like ours. And, uh, and now awesome. he's got, that store's gone. Now it's like over a hundred thousand square feet. There's warehouses and cold storage and they pump out millions of pounds of these things. And we're still the number one customer. So that being said, you know, we got very lucky in having that partnership. That doesn't always work that way for small brands when they're starting out and you kind of have to go find right. a new co-packer at some point, but luckily we were able to Scale. grow with ours. So that worked out really well. So that, that was still a challenge. It doesn't come with, you know, as they had growing pains, we felt mm-hmm. every, every <laughs> little bit of them. And uh, so I would say that was probably the number one most difficult thing. And that never really ends, right? Yeah. As you continue scaling, it just keeps More amplifying problems. and become, yeah. So the opportunities get bigger and bigger, but then the risks get bigger and bigger. So that's something. And, you know, for us, it's a learning process for us. You know, Rashid and I both, neither of us have any CPG background. <laughs> this is like, I'm the CEO of this company. I've never done this before in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been a CEO of any company in my life. So Other than um, the personal training. That was, I was coaching like a single person for an hour and now I'm coaching like 20 people. At, it's, it's pretty, it's wild. It's yeah. wild. What is one piece of advice you can give to an entrepreneur starting today? 
something like this. Stay laser focused. Pick one thing. That was my biggest thing. Like I'm like the worst ADD person there is. And uh, and every marketer is. Trust yeah. me, they want to market everything. Yeah, yeah. And so I would have had 200 like, SKUs by now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and peanut butters, <laughs> everything. It, yeah, no, it's funny. And um, Rashid, my business partner, he's like exact opposite of me. Like him, he and I sitting sitting next to each other, talking to each other. You guys, you guys would be like, how are you guys business partners? Like this is the weirdest thing. But he's the yin to my yang. Now it's like, no, but really, that's that's no, I'm good. just joking. He's yeah. a, we're just, but like, it's a good partnership, you know? So he keeps me in check. If I go off on tangents, like thinking about like, what about this? Like I get all excited and riled up about things. And he's kind of just like, no, we need to keep doing this because this is working. And I'm like, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's been a good partnership though. That's good. Yeah. I don't remember what the quote was, who said it. it was something along the lines of if you have three people in a room and they all agree, then one of them's unnecessary. Yeah. And I think you have that as a, you're trying to grow a business. Like you, you kind of need that other perspective or someone to play devil's advocate, especially something like this. And when you see such rapid success, whenever you start to see that, right, then you're like, okay, well we got that figured out. Let's move on to the next, you know, the next product or the next store, or this or that. And it's like, yeah. No, do you remember five minutes ago when we said we were only going to focus on this one category? Yeah. And, you know, we see that a lot with, with our clients and with our own business as well. Are your people all remote, I assume? The marketing now, folks? Now they are. Were they in the office before? Most people, was in, they were in Chicago. And then, uh, we have, I was in the office down here. We opened up this new office down here in Naples. And um, I will eventually be right. staffing that up when... When you How has it been office. with the whole remote thing and keeping tabs on KPIs and you know what's funny? Managing. So earlier 2020, we actually started. It was actually no, it was middle of 19. Actually, we had already started doing remote work home, work from home Fridays, and it was an option. And so like people would start, you know. And so we we had like Microsoft Teams, Google yeah. Meet, like <laughs> like we were connected all the time. We set up our Slack channels and and all that. And um, so when COVID hit, we were like we were ready to rock. Yeah, we didn't have a day I, off. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I still remember it was like, we should probably work from home next week. This seems like it's getting pretty serious. <laughs> that was uh, eight months ago. Yeah, we've been 100% <laughs> of web-based everything. So we don't have yeah. any servers or anything. That's awesome. On, on, yeah, on site. So yeah, absolutely. Years ago, probably a decade ago. So yeah. fortunate. Absolutely. Well, Pete, we appreciate you coming in and Thanks telling us the story and giving us a little insight into the marketing. Before we go, tell people where they can uh, buy Chomps. Chomps.com. You go to Amazon, Whole Foods, Sprouts, Walmart. There's a bunch of them, but you get sure. <laughs> go to our website. There's a store locator on there. We're adding to it all the time. Anywhere in the country. Is it worldwide or just no, nationwide? No, no. We're, we're okay. just in the US right now. Although I just finished the bilingual packaging to go to Canada. There you That's go. Awesome. And uh, so I think with it, I think the goal right now is end of February or early March having that launched. And so we'll have a Canadian website. We'll be at a couple other e-commerce ones. And then we've got, there's a big retailer, which we're talking to you right now. I won't know till next week, but it would be the U.S. and Canada. If that awesome. Out. So Congratulations. Very, very exciting. So. All right. Well, go to uh, chomps.com and uh, try out all the different flavors that they have. All right, so if you enjoyed this episode, here are five things that you could do to help us. Number one, make sure you click that subscribe button so you never miss another show. Number two, share this with a friend. 
that you know needed to hear this. And three, leave us a comment. We love hearing your thoughts, your ideas, things that you've learned so others can learn from you. And four, if you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, let us know so we can put that in our notes and share our insight All right, for our next episode or the one after that. And finally, you guys, join other growth marketers, head over to oneims.com and check out all the resources that we have made just for you. I'm talking guides, webinars, blogs, videos, anything that could help you become a growth marketer. All right, so thanks a lot for joining us this week on the Growth Marketers Podcast, and I will see you next time.